Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Love's a circle with no end. No, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Happinesses podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped. And today, like always, I'm very excited and I'm going to be in big trouble from my mum because I sense that today I'm going to laugh a lot. Today's guest I met through uh, some quizzes that we did online during the first lockdown in 2020 for Doddy Weir, and I met him for a quiz where we stood on boys' own stools as well. I've actually met him in person, but most of our relationship has been over the interweb, and I am delighted that he is going to be side-by-side with me on screen today. He is the one and the only Mr. Ollie Phillips. Hello, sir. Brucey, price is always right with you, as they say, and I'm delighted that I've been building stand-up comedian for the next hour, so I can fall and discredit myself from massive grace within five minutes. So there we go. No, great to be here, no. mate. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased. It, you are another one of the original on the list, which I'm slowly crossing off of the people that had to feature. So thank oh, you for being who, who here. Who is still on it? Who, who's still on that list? Let's get let's get a shout out to them. Well, there's there's a couple who have promised that they will, but they just can't at the moment. And then there are other people who talk contract stuff, which I don't understand. Oh, but God, because right. you are, who, who's you are giving who, who's giving you the bigger that bigger than contract chat, and who's giving you the no, like. Don't you go and upset them because then they won't come on. One of them you know very well. Well, don't make them feel feel uncomfortable. Come on. Ben Ryan. 
Come on, Banjo, mate. The boy from Teddington. He's got to come on. I mean, just because he's got his face on pound notes now in Fiji. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 he said he's coming. He is efficiency, though. though, now, mate. So you've got to be careful. He's He said he's coming. Uh, Chris Robshaw oh, said he's yeah, going to come you... on. Oh, cool. Good lad. Robbo from San Diego. He can show you his tan, which obviously I don't have any of at the moment, but there we go. No, well, tell me about it. He looks like he's having a terrible time in America, an absolutely yeah. terrible time. Uh, and then there's a couple others. Damien Hughes. Have you met Damien Hughes? No, I haven't. No, I don't know Damien. He he would be a man right up your street, I reckon. The two of you, if you needed a sidekick to take over the world, I reckon Damien Hughes could be it if I don't, if I don't meet the grade. Catherine well, Spencer? Well, yeah. Spence will do it, definitely. Definitely. She's a legend as well. And my shout out to, to Damien. I mean, you're my brother from another mother. Clearly, we need to be reunited because um because Bruce Bruce says it's what we need. It, it it would be unstoppable. And Spence is claiming that between being a teacher and a parent, that she can only squeeze me in in between this little period of time on a certain day in the future. So yeah, she's she's promised though. She said she'll come on. She's a busy bee, so you might got to get in there. Lock her in. Yeah, it's done. Right, Mr. Ollie Phillips, you are now doing all kinds of stuff to inspire other people, and I want to know how long it took you to come up with a business name that was your initials. So Ollie Phillips is Mr. Optimus Performus. So how did that happen? Um, I mean, well, it was actually – it was a brilliant bit of inspiration, actually, from um, – a guy that used to be sort of on the media comms team at World Rugby, actually. Um, a guy called Seb Lozier, top bloke, absolutely fantastic guy. And I spoke to him a little bit around launching this a while ago. This is in 2015, 16 or whenever it was. And, um, and I told him what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And he sort of said, well, look, we should make it all around your personality and how you are. I'm quite glass half full and whatever else. And he just said, I think I've got it. And it was the optimist performance business. And obviously the OP at the beginning, we love it. And then we made the logo as a compass because I'm obviously traveling all over the place and travel's a major part of my life. So that's where it came up, mate. I mean, I, I wish I could give you some crazy, crazy story that it was in some back and beyond bar and I woke up and someone had tattooed it on my backside. But, but, <laughs> but it's not that, unfortunately. No, but like, let's go to the travel then. Now, I didn't know, and believe it or not, I do do some research before I do these things. I no knew, about, I knew about Everest. I knew about Everest, but I didn't know about what you did in America on a bike. Yeah, I didn't know that you're pretty good in a boat. And did. I did. Well, hold on, mate. You didn't know I'd sailed around the world. I did that for a year. That was the first thing I did. See, that... That just blew you, you, you sailed around the world. How on earth were you contained on a boat all the way around the world? Who who did you inflict that on? Can you imagine? Can you feel can you imagine how those 20 people felt on board my boat? They were like, oh, We're actually locked on here with this bloke for 28 days at a time. We can't get off it. There's nowhere. I mean, even the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean was probably looking appealing by like day 15, 16 for them. But um, yeah, mate, well, I mean, it was a bit, I mean, so in all seriousness, that that whole event came about. Well, 
mo- I imagine most people that you know listen to this podcast are you know are rugby fans of in some shape or form. And and it had come about actually through a rugby fan. Um, so uh, the bloke who founded Clip Around the World Race, a guy called Sir Robin Knox Johnson, an Irish guy that had made his name in the 60s because he was the first person ever to single-handedly sail around the world solo. Um, awesome bloke, typical Irish, always you know half cut every time you met him. Um, loved bashing the English whatsoever. You know, any opportunity, bash the English. I mean, so so he and I, obviously, you can imagine, got on incredibly well because he used to come to us sevens tournaments, whatever else, just lay into me as England captain at the time. And I just loved it. So we got on really, really well. And then we, we were in the World Cup against New Zealand in Moscow in 2013. And we got absolutely spanked in the final. So we got managed to get to World Cup final and then basically choked in the final. I think we lost, I can't remember, 33-3 or something like that. And I had actually injured myself. And it's turned out to be sort of my career-ending injury, so to speak. But I didn't know. Oh, well, I'd been told that at the time, but I was sort of refusing to acknowledge it. And Robin had rang me, being the sort of humble, gentle, sort of, you know, appreciative acknowledging friend slash Irishman that, that, that the Irish can be to gloat about the fact that we've just been <laughs> stuffed 33-3 in a final against New Zealand. And I think he realised that actually I was pretty down on my on my luck at this point because not only we'd obviously lost the World Cup final, but, but I'd injured myself and I'd been told that it was sort of all over and a bit of a career ender. So, I mean, thankfully he was obviously still pissed at the time. So he he decided that he would extend an olive branch there and then and say, look, we've just done a deal with Downing Street with a, on a Great Britain boat. And they really want a, you know, like whatever you want to call it, ambassador to, to act as a envoy. You'd be perfect. So I was like, really? You, know, you think I'd be a perfect representative for the UK and the UK economy? But OK, fair enough. Um, I'm in. Well, I didn't say I'm in there and then. But anyway, it evolved that from the moment I got injured, I had five weeks until this boat was going to set sail. And I had to do three weeks of training for this sailing race as well. And the clip around the world race, for people that don't know, is a 46,000 mile, 11 months away on the ocean sailing around the world, starting in London and finishing in London. And, uh, And I just... I don't know why. Maybe I was down on my luck as well at the time, but I just thought, yeah, all right, I'll do it. I'm in. So within, honestly, within four days of me injuring myself at a, a World Cup final, I was basically checked out for a year and away we went. But you you relish challenges, but also being with other people because you've always done this. You've always taken chances you've always loved being part of a team and I bet you were immense for the spirit in things like going up Everest and going around the world you because you're like a Duracell bunny or certainly that's how you come across well it depends who you ask I mean if you ask Tamara Taylor when we went up Everest she might give you a different sort of opinion on um you know the, the, I think she's the second most capped England international of all time World Cup winning legend, all the rest of it. 
and she was having a particularly sort of rough day on Everest one day. And I thought that energy was what she needed. And I was there behind her for about eight hours, <laughs> geeing her up, saying, come on, Tam, one foot in front of the other. You can do this. You've got this. You're smashing it. You look brilliant. Singing songs to her. Until, I mean, are we allowed to swear on the show? I don't know if we're allowed to swear on the show. So yeah, I'll, just I'll, not, I'll not any case. big ones. Not um, any big ones. No. Yeah. So, uh, well, until about sort of six hours in when she just stood up, she stopped. She turned around and she said, Ollie, will you just F off? And I was like, the cheek, the cheek. So, no, but thankfully, in, in general, no, I, I didn't have anyone um, throw themselves overboard we didn't lose anyone on the mountain so there was yeah so there was in general the consensus was that my positive approach to life as you've so rightly identified bruce is more well received than not well received <laughs> and have you sought those things to replace changing room or to replace that team camaraderie that you had for so long because that's the thing lots of people say they miss the most they, it's not the winning or the training or the travel it's the changing room or their mates or the banter is that been purposeful or has it just happened i think it's a really i mean it's a cracking question i think if, if i'm truly honest i think it's it's a bit of both i think it was um so the clipper race turned out to be an amazing decision right it turned out to be one of the most incredible adventures i'd had in my life and it opened up my eyes to the opportunities of of all the other stuff that i then went on and did and and uh, if you like lit the litmus paper for me to go and do all the things you mentioned like everest north pole cycle across america whatever else but but that on its own that very first one I think that was that one was, if I'm hand on heart, honest, was probably driven more out of desperation than innovation. If that makes sense, like I was, I was uh, like being serious around it. Like I, I was in a pretty crappy place, having well, my being 29 and being and finding out that my career was effectively over at that point in time because of an injury that nobody could diagnose or tell me what was wrong with me. That was probably the most frustrating part. And when this this opportunity came around with the Clipper race, I just saw that probably, if I'm honest, at the time as a, wow, here's, here's an arena that like I can hopefully be good in. People want me. I can get more validation. You know, it comes with all the sort of press and blah, blah, blah and paraphernalia. And what a great experience it will be to go and sail around the world. And I think I had some delusions of grandeur that I would have a year out, go around the world and then come back and be fit at 30 and try and go to my, my ambition was always, always to go to Rio to the Olympics. So I bizarrely, I had this idea of my, I could the set up a race Rio. So you went London to Rio as the first race. And I was like, right, wow, wouldn't it be brilliant? My first race on the Clipper race is to Rio and my last port of call in my international career when I come back and make a big comeback would be Rio and Olympic games. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Blah, blah, blah. It didn't help that I didn't have a leg that would work or I could do anything with it. And I was sort of ignorant to that. So, so the clipper race was definitely sort of delusions of grandeur, a bit of desperation. And then 
all the other ones afterwards have been centered around wow these things are amazing doing them with brilliant people for amazing causes and having you know the experience of a lifetime and and so yeah that's why i've done it and, and keep doing it and but people will keep asking you because of what you offer and people will keep asking you because they know you you buy into these things and you're wholehearted and you probably bring other people along with you do you do you realize that did you realize that was the kind of player you were or was that something that just came with a bit of maturity or age rather than maturity um i did i, I just I, i've always i've always loved I've, i just never tried to take life too seriously um so, so I've always tried to embrace the fun and I've always taken an interest in other people. Like I've, I've always been, um, I've always liked it to, to I, I like stories. Like, so I like hearing people's stories. I like hearing people's ambition. I love sort of hearing their goals and aspirations and then helping them achieve them is, is a, I find that quite rewarding. So, so, uh, I mean, I, I would never, ever like to suggest that I'm at any level of maturity ever. But you know, may, may, maybe that's got more refined as as time's gone by. But I think I think the other thing to your point is when you're in these scenarios, you know, whether it be Everest or North Pole or sailing around the world or whatever, there are definitely moments, even for me personally, right? But where just life gets a bit tough. You're like, poor. I, I'd much rather be back at home watching the rugby. You know just not really worrying about life why do i want to go out and walk you know 100 meters in the freezing cold snow shovel a big hole in the ground to have a poo and my hand freezing to a shovel like all these sorts of things like when you're at the north pole it's minus 15 you're thinking god i'm I'm sitting here half squatting with my hand frozen to a shovel worrying about a panda a polar bear coming out to attack me whilst i have a number two like i think yeah, you know, there's definitely moments where I've been like questioning my sanity or rationale for it all. But, but I think in those moments, my, like I found that my general approach to it, which is like, isn't this just a brilliant environment? Aren't we just so lucky to be here, doing something that nobody really ever's done, being in places that nobody really ever goes to? Isn't that special? And that, in general, except for Tamara Taylor, you know, brings everyone back online in, in a positive frame of mind. We love Tamara Taylor on here. She's yeah. been a guest. We're, we're big fans of Tamara Taylor. Yeah, yeah. She did She did mention you, actually. Oh, God. No. <laughs> it, did she mention that moment or not? No, she was She was quite polite. She was quite polite. She, yeah. was, she, she wasn't was on the drunk. mountain. She wasn't on the mountain. <laughs> she, I love her. She's a legend. Yeah, she is a great lady. Now, you... You played sevens to an unbelievable standard, and were the you were voted the best player in sevens for one of your seasons in two thousand and nine. Did you know you were that good? Did you feel like you were just in the zone, and th- or did you get that and think, um, "Why me? How 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 did your ego cope with things like that?" Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't think I ever. I, I mean, I don't think I ever believed I was the you know the best player in the world. I think you've you've obviously always got. Well, I, I did anyway. Aspirations to be the best at what you did, right? So I, I I wanted every single time to to be the best in my job, 
for my own personal drivers and also for the for the collective good of my team like i recognize that playing for england yeah if yeah if everyone else was going to bust a gut to, to to deliver their best you know it was my duty to to do exactly the same thing so so i um Yes, I loved it. And when I saw the list of names that that came out originally, I was like, Jesus Christ, how am I even on here? But, you know, clearly all those sort of brown envelopes that I've been slipping under the coaches' doors and stuff are are working. Um, And then when they when they gave it to me. Yeah, I was. I was a bit surprised. I'll be honest. I was a bit. I I was incredibly grateful. And don't get me wrong. I had had a good season. I, I personally had a good season, but I think collectively England had had a bolter of a season like we'd finished something like sixth the year before or seventh the year before I, I hadn't actually played in the year before I'm not saying it was anything to do with but here, here we were sort of sitting number one in the world at the, you know at this point a year later so and and, and if I'm honest with you like it was I know loads of people do palm this one off all the time but but it is genuinely true like there was no one in our team that was like standout worldy but everybody was class from chris cracknell kev barrett rob vickerman tom b young just greg greg barden the, the list was pretty endless in terms of like the people that contributed to it but whenever we turned up we were just on it we were just excellent and 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 just all everything's just seemed to come together that year and we were knockout and and maybe because i was captain i don't know that i i got sort of attributed to that but um but either way i'll take it you know what i mean i'll take I think it as, well, once you've got the medal that's it no one can take it away from you then so you whether you deserved it or not you say look i was still the best player in the world so yeah. whatever you like yeah uh, and quite rightly, you you'd be the ideal sevens captain. There, there's is there a difference between a fifteens captain and a sevens captain? Because a sevens tournament, especially far far away from home and some of the amazing places that you went to play rugby, there's a difference, isn't there, between a fifteen aside captain and a seven aside captain? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is definitely just because. If you if, if you like in a 15s environment, there's there's more little nuances that go on, but the game is fundamentally slower, right? But and then when you and you live for the weekend, right? You get to the weekend, you live for that one game, and then yeah, you basically peak for that start of the 80 minutes. You've got to last the 80 minutes, and then you go off into the sunset and reflect on whether you did well or you didn't do didn't do so well. Whereas in the sevens, it's it's the emotional roller coaster across two days. You build to the weekend. You peak for the first game. You've got to deliver for those 40 minutes, drop off, relax, chill out for whatever it is, three hours, two hours, peak again, perform, drop, peak again, drop, and then do the same all over again on day two. So so I think that, you know, that would lend itself to if you like, my, maybe my personality, but it doesn't mean that my personality is the right across the board, but somebody that really relished the opportunity of like yeah let's go let's go let's get up for it this is let's just get moving let's get energetic but then you've got to recognize that certain people are not motivated like that you know certain people like their own solitude their own time to get the headspace you know some people like to punch themselves in the face and headbutt walls you know so it's, it's, it's yeah when i'm the type of person who wants to high five lucky bum taps give everyone cuddles you can imagine that as they're punching each other in the face and headbutt walls 
I'm probably not their favorite person to be around. So I, I had to sort of you know, be, be, be a bit delicate with some of those personalities from time to time. But, but you've already said you love being with people and, and picking those people out would be a skill of yours. Where, where did you go? Hong Kong, Dubai, America, Canada, South Africa, when they moved the venue, where did you go that you really looked forward to and you thought this is, this is the showtime, this is the one I really want us to win? Uh, well, I mean, all, I mean, without copping out, obviously, all of them. I, I, ne- I never went to any tournament. And I, I, had, I remember we sat in our, like, training ground or whatever at the Lensbury at the beginning. And I'm not a massive reader, but I had, believe it or not, read a, managed to read a book. And it was called Decide to Win. And it was all around, like, basically sort of your own mental approach and whatever and belief set. And so I just... I was just adamant that we, I don't know, needed to think, act, you know, exude everything about us needed to represent that we were winning. Like we were a side that would win. Um, and we believed it. We knew it. We, and we delivered on it kind of thing. And so I, I was sort of fairly adamant about championing that all the time. And, and I got mocked for it a little bit at the beginning you know just trying to like you know give it up mate kind of thing but but it, but but all these things start to wear, you know wear off on people a little bit rub a little bit and um and so as you went around the world there, it was just different environments so when you went to dubai you knew you were going to be going into a place that was sort of just pre-christmas everyone was in party mode full of expats fifty-five thousand across two days pissed off their mind desperate for England to do well right so that was a that was a pretty easy environment to go into because I mean expectations tough because they expect you and hope you're going to win but they're so behind you and they champion they, they lift you right whereas when you go to and the same for Hong Kong same for Twickenham but whereas when you go to Murrayfield or you go to uh, Wellington in New Zealand I mean I mean, the first thing they think about is drowning an Englishman anywhere they can, right? So, so that you know, they are desperate for us not to do well, and they in May, and they will play you know, in New Zealand. They played Dad's Army when we ran out. They used to throw pints of I don't know what it was, but pints of something very warm and yellow all over us when we ran out. So you know, it was hostile. This place was aggressive hostile but you equally took motivation from that but it's just in a different way just a different fashion but 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 all of them were were special but you know some of them stand out more than others purely probably because of performance and how, you know how we did outcome and all the rest of it and a 15 squad especially an international 15 squad has as many hangers on if not more or committee people and analysts and physios as there are players but a sevens squad is all hands on deck isn't it and the coach is has to do more and the physio probably does more and you've all got to carry the bags does that make the relationship stronger yeah i mean i asked ben ryan to a massage but he never would i mean it's <laughs> ne- never forthcoming um yeah no i mean it does you you, you we used to actually have a song um by Kanye West called Family Business. I don't know if you know that song, but but it, but it, it was centered all for us because of because of you know, we used to we were a family like we were a family that went around the world 
and we were really close knit. And as long as there wasn't, well, because we were playing so well as well, nobody would really be getting dropped unless there was an injury. So it was, it was family business, this whole thing. And, and it was, a, and it's comes thick and fast. You start in December, you finish in May. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And within that, you've got 10 venues to go to. And in the year that you're talking about, in 2009, we had a World Cup as well in Dubai. So it, we were pretty much away from home the entire time. So you had to get on with each other. You, you know, you obviously need to give each other some space. Time to... You'd be on, you had to sort of really relate to one another, embrace it all and, and treat each other as, as a collective family. And bizarrely, like now we've all retired or most, I think most have retired now, or nearly there's a few still hanging on, but um, you know, I, even though we don't, we do the typical bloke thing, right? We, we, never see or speak to each other for you know donkey's years or whatever else but if we ever see each other it feels like it was yesterday and there's always that moment there's always this even though nobody says it there's always this sort of sense between all of you of you know you shared in that super special moment for everyone for england for for us careers teams whatever else it was really special time did you ever in all those places and it might have been on the Monday morning. Did you ever wake up in a hotel and have to remind yourself which one you were at or which country you were in? God. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask something else there when you woke up on a Monday morning. Um, no, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, you didn't ever get lost in that. I mean, obviously, there was a couple of heavy nights after, you know, if you won Hong Kong, if you won Dubai, where you probably wake up and Monday was a bit hazy and you weren't sure what was going down. But the irony of these sort of things were when you were on the tour, because everything went back to back, if you, if you won the first one out of the two, so like, for example, Dubai, South Africa, they were with back to back. So if you won Dubai, you would all, you, because you'd have to, obviously you'd played more games than anybody else had played. You probably had to work harder than anybody else had had to work in order to win the tournament. So you're therefore likely to be the most knackered. And because within six days' time, you were doing it all over again in Cape Town, you know, coupled with the fact you had flights and whatever else, you weren't really that motivated to go out and get hammered and whatever else after after the Sunday because you're like, if I'm going to do the crime here, I'm going to have to do the time, and the time is pretty painful. So you sort of swerved it. So really, 
you needed to make sure that you were class back to back. And by the time it all finished, like so for the second leg in, in Cape Town, if you'd won that as well, then you properly let the pin out. And you, I mean, I'll be honest, <laughs> you didn't know what day it was or where you were full stop the next day. But, but because it just, it was such a relentless schedule that, uh, you know, it, it kind of flashed, it kind of flashed past you and you were just always focusing on the next one, the next one, the next one. And the sevens environment is so different and you were, you were a traveling roadshow, but you, you played with big clubs and I think your sevens career sometimes eclipses what you did in the 15s game. You were the best player in France, best overseas player in France. Like that's another pretty high esteem award to have won. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly just, you know, the, the French love to hate the English, but I, I was the only roast beef that, that learned to speak French. So maybe that's why they gave it to me. Or maybe they just gave it to me because I thought, if we give it to him, he's the only one that can actually speak French at the award ceremony. So we'll understand what he's talking about. Um, no, I mean, so it, it it was an ambition of mine, right? And, and I I did have, I don't know the word about, like a chip on my shoulder, if you want to call it that, that, that there, was a, there was a bit of momentum coming behind the sentiment when I'd actually won World Player of the Year in 09, that that you needed to segment the two. Like you couldn't be a top class 15s player and be a sevens player or vice versa. Sevens players didn't make world class 15s players or 15s players didn't make world class sevens players. And I I still vehemently believe that that's nonsense. Um, and so... I mean, uh, there's a good story around my, which we can maybe go into, but but I, I had been recruited for Stad, right, to go and play for Stad off the back of my sevens performances, really, because I, I was away for six months. So I didn't really get to play for Newcastle in that year when the, when the World Cup was there because I was pretty much flying all the time. And when you come back from a lot of these tournaments, it took you a game or two for the, for the club to reintegrate you back in. So I'd really got signed off the back of that year, my sevens performances that year to Stade Francais. And obviously at that point in time, Stade were you know, arguably the biggest club in Europe or one of the biggest clubs in Europe. And and so I was like, I've, I, I've got a sign there. I mean, not only that, I'm from Brighton. So, you know, any opportunity to wear pink and get in touch you know, with, with that was, was obviously right up there. But I, I wanted to just challenge myself. I've been at Newcastle, which was a, Great club with some brilliant players. We'd, we'd always underachieved, and I wanted to go somewhere where we would win something, be in the arena for winning something, play in massive competitions, and and really develop as a player and test myself. I was 25, 26 at the time, and um, yeah, I, I, I went over there and threw the kitchen sink at it and properly went for it. In, in all senses, not only rugby, in my rugby capacity, yes, but and my training capacity, but also just in my life. I, I wanted to, you said I'm the Energizer Bunny, if you like, for, for that, those two years, my God, the energy that I threw into that in terms of learning the culture, the city, the, the language, everything. Like I was relent, like totally and utterly relentless in terms of that. And, and it paid massive dividends. Um, and if I'm honest, probably leaving there was one of my biggest regrets in my career because I loved France and the French and club. Say, and my award in 2011 of being voted as you know the best 
I was top try scorer in the league. I was top try scorer for my club, and I'd got voted as you know best you know foreign player or best overseas player, whichever one you call it. Um, and yet, bizarrely, I couldn't get a club. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't get re-signed because I'd been screwed. Uh, I'd been screwed a bit, to be honest, by um, Michael Checker, who was our coach at the time. Um, I'd got a knee injury in the November and quite a bad one that that was manageable. We could we could keep managing it, but um, but I needed like with regular injections, but I would need an operation. And I'd seen checks in the in the November, and I'd sort of said, "Look, what, you know, what do I want to do?" And he's like, "Look, I could really do with you playing and staying on and whatever else." And and I was loving it too. Right? I was sort of. I was scoring a lot. I was playing a lot. I was really enjoying my rugby. So I didn't really want to go and have an off either. And if it was manageable, I was sort of like, okay, let's do it. You know, And so out of the 35 games we had that season, I played 30, I started 34 of them. And the wow. only one, the, the, the only one he didn't start me for was the European cup final against Harlequins, which he put me on the bench for, which was, which was ultimately my last game, which really annoyed me um and and we lost that game as well and it was a, an unfortunate mistake by the lad that was in my place Gibril Camara who was a great guy good young player but was a, probably a bit of a baptism of fire for him for that game so so that was pretty annoying but anyway during that time period from November onwards you know I, I was up for my contract that year and I was sort of having good, positive conversations. Checkers like you're a vital part of the squad and blah, 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 blah. And then it got to sort of April, end of March, April. And I was like, hmm, there's still no contract coming forward. There was some, some mutterings that Max was really struggling with the, with the money as well. The club was maybe going to go bust. So that had delayed everything. And then by the time it came to the end of May, which is when we played this game, obviously my contract was up at the end of June. I had a dodgy knee that was going to need at least six months out. I was totally over a barrel with Stad and checks because I didn't have anywhere else to go. He knew it. And then he ended up not signing me and signing Paul Saki um, instead. And and that really, really was disappointing. And, and you know what, it's even more, but you talk around like the energy and whatever else that, that I brought, like I'd really, I'd obviously finished as the you know, top try scorer and, overseas player and whatever else but the energy that I brought into the club and the enthusiasm with the fans really resonated because four fans quite wealthy fans came forward to Checker and said Ollie Phillips needs to stay and we'll pay for him we'll pay for him to be here next year we'll cover his salary but you know he needs to stay at the club because he's such a you know great representative and player and whatever else and Checker refused so that you know that that unfortunately didn't materialize but but i had an amazing time it was absolutely what what a club what an experience and i and it and i was i just feel very grateful and and um yeah for having that experience and yeah thankful for it all it was an amazing place what, what a brilliant city and you used to get some interesting visitors didn't you you knew i was getting around to this one <laughs> for stad oh my god i mean <laughs> Bearing in mind, right? I mean, bearing in mind that you would have 
at Newcastle, what four people turn up to a game, maybe five, if you're lucky, if, 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 the, if their dog counts. Um, and here I was going to Stad, where we play in front of like 80,000 at the, at the Stade de France and whatever else. And I remember our first game against Perpignan, I walked down the tunnel and there was like, I was, James Haskell had signed with me and I was walking down the tunnel with Hask. And as we walked down, there were 40 of the women from the Moulin Rouge all stood there with, you know, topless and everything else like that. And I was like, what, (laughs) what the, what is going on here? So I was like, well, obviously it was the slowest walk I'd ever taken to a pitch in my life. I must take uh, 35 minutes walking out for warm up just so I could get out there. And then when I walked out there, there was a massive wrestling ring raised like 20 feet up in the sky and these dirt bikes in the center of the pitch and these dirt bikes that were jumping over the top of this wrestling ring and down on a ramp the other side. And I was thinking, bloody hell like where are we like and also where the hell do we warm up kind of thing like the the whole pitch has been consumed by this circus and that sort of set the precedent for everything right fireworks and just lavish utter craziness and after that Perpignan game which is what you're getting to (laughs) Max Guazzini who was our sort of gregarious gay owner loved coming into the changing room because it, it was his op- opportunity to do a bit of you know i spy or whatever else and um and he was a top he's an absolutely heroic human being but he would come in and because he used to own this radio station called nr nrj but nrg over there he knew all these sort of you know celebrities and pop stars and whatever else and so like after this game yeah he he brought madonna into the bloody change room <laughs> It's like, excuse me, is that Madonna? Like, what? The, what? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a virgin. Don't worry about that. Like, prancing around, obviously, all the boys getting super excited, and it's all shower time and bath time. And they used to have those old school big baths that you know now would be a health and safety absolute no go. But we're all jumping in the bath. Everyone's like, "Come on, Max, in you come, in you come." And they always used to, they always used to go like this. We used to go. Because apparently he's got, you know, a, a, a big snake. Um, so, 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 like trying to encourage Max just to play up to him to come into the bath. But equally, they, what they were, were really wanting was that Madonna would come and jump in with us into the bath. And so, I just couldn't believe it. But you know, bear in mind, this is like week six for me at the club. About talking about a baptism of fire. But sure enough, in she jumps, in jumps Max. Sure enough, in I jumped as well i forgot about all the health and safety requirements that i was straight in there and sipping on dom perignon in a bath with a load of sort of semi-naked stade francais lads and a semi-naked madonna but you know brilliant what 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 more could i expect going over to sign for to play rugby in in paris i mean ridiculous just out of this world, I think is probably the polite way to put it. And then you go, you go, and you do other things, and you play at other clubs. Did, where did you find that again? Where did you find that love again? Did you have moments in the fifteens game where you thought, right, this is me. I'm, I'm just going to stick at this. Um, I, I came back to the UK one because obviously it, it gone a bit sour at Stad. Um, but there was still some interest. Breve were wanting to sign me at the time and Claremont were in as well. 
but um but i'd also met martin johnson because he was coming over to stad at the time with his coaching team because we had hask and tom palmer playing for us so he'd come over to see them and you know talk to them about the six nations or whatever else and obviously at that point in time i was actually playing pretty well in the league you know i was top try scorer and all this sort of jazz so he'd had a chat with me sort of saying look from a political perspective, it's already challenging enough trying to get Hask and Wilco and Tom Palmer back. You know, adding you into the mixer is going to be too hard for us, like, especially having, you know, you haven't played yet in the in the squad or whatever else like that. But he said, you are on our radar. It's, it's, it's difficult for us to ignore you when you're playing like that well and scoring that many tries, et cetera, et cetera. But in order for us to consider you, you really need to come back to the UK. So, so I saw commit anyway. It'd gone a bit wrong at, at Stad of coming back, and I knew I had to get my knee sorted, so I, I wasn't going to be able to have a club. But I went to Gloucester, and the Ollie Morgan, unfortunately, bless him, had completely blown his knee out in a game in December, and that was the end of his career really at that point and Brian Redpath the head coach who I knew well and I'd played some pretty good games for Newcastle against Gloucester had heard that I was back and I just was about to return from injury I you know I, I was due back in the end of December start of January um and so he sort of said look we, you know we'd like to sign you as a I guess fundamentally as an injury recover at the beginning with a view to sort of staying staying and staying involved and so I turned up at Gloucester and I mean, I'd like to categorically say to all Gloucester fans, you know, this wasn't my fault or anything to do with me. But when I walked in, we were in the Heineken Cup quarterfinal and sitting, I think, third in the league. And then we never won another game from the moment that I turned up. So it was, <laughs> it was a total disaster. Uh, and I, I got injured loads. And so it was, I loved the club. I absolutely loved the area to live and whatever else. Um, but yeah, I, I I wish I could have contributed more, and to to the to the club. And you enjoyed your stay there because you and Mike Tyndall used to get up to mischief. Well, I mean, I I think, <laughs> I, I mean, yes, a hundred percent. I <laughs> so when I signed there, I, I I obviously coming in late as an injury replacement, and also because it was only a short term contract with the potential of it being longer. In theory, I was only there for like six months, seven months. Um, and so I'd spoken to Tins and I said, look, Tins, you know anyone that's got like, you know, six month tenancy or some of that or just where or, or and also where could I stay for those six months? And I think he I think he probably meant it like as a throwaway comment, like, oh, mate, just come stay with us without actually thinking that I might say, yeah, okay. You know, if you probably thought, well, he'd be good and he won't want to come stay with us. But I just went, yeah, yeah, I'm in, done. <laughs> so I think he was then like, oh shit, he's come to stay with us. So that was kind of like in the, that was just before he went away to the World Cup in 2011. And then obviously the whole wheels fell off of the England performance in New Zealand. And, you know, Tins got photographed, unfortunately, you know, with his, you know, being a bit, pissed and whatever else and so i was like oh god what am i walking into is this going to be a disaster like tins you sure you don't want to pull the rug on me sort of coming to live with you and zara you know 
I can I can be a marital counsellor if you want me to be and whatever else like that. Um, but they were amazing. They were absolute. I mean, they were. They are amazing. Just had their third baby, but yeah, it was like that film You, Me, and Dupree, like this awesome <laughs> couple having an amazing time. It was just this random hobo. What was his? Was it? Was his name in Notting Hill? Spike. Do you remember Spike? Yeah. The, the, the Welsh bloke. That, that was basically me, just wandering around in my wife fronts all the time. Um, I love, I love Notting Hill, but I would love to have been there when you met Mike's mother-in-law. Yeah, I don't think I would like to have been there when I met her because I was. I mean, Tins loves this stuff. Tins, Tins brought this up the other day as well. Still, one of my most regretful moments. I'm sorry to, to, to her for doing this, but yeah. Well, so I so to cut a very long and boring story short, I was at a, a party with Mike and Zara and a few other people, like a garden party or whatever else, barbecue. And I'd had one too many drinks and obviously hadn't met his her mum or anything like that. I was just, I'd literally just arrived in Cheltenham and she'd sat next to me at a table that I was sat at and I was busy waffling away to Mike and Zara, my girlfriend at the time, and hadn't realized that she sat next to me. And obviously you go through moments in your life where you see these people on TV all the time and you seem to think you get that moment where you believe they're like your best, they're your best friend that you've ever met in your life. And when you're pissed, it makes it even more fueled, right? So I turned to my right and saw her and was like, oh, grabbed her, brought her in. and was like, oh, mummy pee. Mummy P, so good. To, and obviously, she's her name's not Mummy. Well, it is to Zara, but it's not to me. And it, and it, it's not P either. But but either way, she would just like she just sort of. Well, to be honest, she was amazing. She was amazingly diplomatic about it. I was fully expecting like some dot to come round, sniper, boom, blown out, and then I just get sort of carried out and dragged along the floor. But I just looked at my girlfriend and I looked at Mike and they were both pretty horrified. And I looked at Zara and she was sort of laughing, but a bit uncomfortable. And then I looked to my right and realized that I had obviously the Princess Anne in what could only be described as probably a noogie ringing around, calling her mummy pee. So you you quickly sober up in those situations, right? So I I let her go. I was like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, and da, 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 da. and then you know, it's like one of those situations you get at a wedding where you've sort of cocked up, and you're like, right, what do I do here? Do I just go home? Do I just go home, lick my wounds, go to bed, and just just forget all about it, or do I just pull the pin and end myself? And I just chose pull the pin and end myself. So I went and had you know six more beers because I'm a total Larry Lightweight. I put myself in a horrible, horrible drunk. I was actually funneling with one of the another member of the royal family that evening, and um, I woke up feeling pretty sorry for myself in the morning, regretting everything that I'd done, wanting the world to sort of consume me and swallow me in one second. And then, bizarrely and unbeknown to me, Princess Anne comes around the house every morning to walk the dogs, and she walked through the door, and I was sat on the sofa, and I looked over my shoulder, I was like, oh god and tried to pretend like I wasn't there so she couldn't see me, but obviously she could see some drunken hungover slob on the sofa. And so she just went, good morning, Ollie. Don't worry. It's just mummy pee coming to walk the dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you wanted, wasn't it, Bruce? That's the bit you loved. Um, Just every time I hear it, 
so I, I just feel like, like I'm so sorry. I'm really, really sorry about that. And she didn't say anything. She just walked out. And then, you know what made it worse? I then did some of these challenges for a children's charity called The Wooden Spoon. And who is the patron of that charity but bloody Princess Anne? So every event that I go to for The Wooden Spoon that's a major event, she is kind enough to give up her time to come to. And every time she sort of gives me a wry smile, shakes my hand, leans over, and she says, Mommy P reporting for duty. And I was like, oh, God, stop. Make the pain stop. So unfortunately, this will never end. So there we go. Especially when it's like me that keep bringing it up because I could never get yeah. enough of it. Especially when you bring it up on a podcast that gets broadcasted out to the masses and then they just hold me to ransom on it as well. <laughs> I love it. Ollie, I know you're a busy man and we're, we're going to have to wind down, but you are worth hours and hours and hours and I wish I had you for longer, but I have to be grateful for what we've got. So guess... We'll do it again uh, sometime, Brucey. We'll do it again. Yes, that is a promise I will hold you to. So at the end, I ask guests to the only bit of this that's scripted, and that is to finish a sentence for me. So, Ollie Phillips, for you, happiness is. This is where I get all serious, isn't it? This is bloody hell. I mean, for Ollie Phillips, happiness is my family. I know that sounds absurd, but. I love, you know how you said to me, oh, you're the energizer bunny. Well, I finally, I've got like the one, the one thing that I found that can actually out energize me are my two kids <laughs> and they can absolutely batter me on the energy front. <laughs> so I finally met my match and I love my two girls, Lily May and Nia and my amazing wife, Lucy. Um, we're called the sod pod. Um, because my wife has this incredibly annoying habit of losing everything that, that I own. So um, it's called getting sodded. But uh, yeah, uh, happiness is my f- happiness is the sod pod. There you go. The, the sod pod. Unique. Ollie Phillips, you're an absolute gentleman and I love to listen to your stories. Thank you very much for joining us. And I hope to see you in person in real life very, very soon. Top man. Cheers, Brucey. Cheers, Ollie. Thank you. Uh, if you do not leave Ollie Phillips better than when you arrived, then I, I want to meet you. The man is absolutely magnificent. I love him to bits. Every time I speak to him, I, I love him even more. And as a Scotsman who used to watch him play for England Sevens, I never thought I would utter those words, but he is an absolute gem. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please download us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can leave us a review and remember, be nice. And you can also watch on Facebook and YouTube and please subscribe and get involved. It would be great for other people to find us. Ollie Phillips, what a man. I hope you will be back to join us for more podcasts. My name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast, and my happiness is egg-shaped. See you soon. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.